sing as one for this country we're walking on we stand together to protect this land for the future we're hand in hand welcome to another episode of the environmental as anything podcast Warning, the following program may contain traces of irony, sarcasm, satire, parody, mockery, banter, caricature, and nuts. The opinions expressed are almost certainly not shared by self-appointed officious dictatorial wowsers. If you are dangerously irony deficient or allergic to mockery of the self-important and corrupt, then get a life. And this would be Environmental As Anything. Thank you very much for joining me again today. Uh, my name's Sean O'Shaughnessy, and uh, it is Saturday the 13th of February, and we are uh, we have had another huge week for the environment uh, in the world of news and uh, current affairs. We do our best to bring you our analysis uh, and interviews and uh, opportunities for action that you can take for the environment, uh, for the world that we live in. We've got uh, a few really interesting stories on today. I'm going to be speaking to our new Green Lady Mayor. Uh, that's right. <laughs> Yes, uh, Vanessa Eakins uh, has just uh, just been appointed uh, and the, the new mayor of Lismore and we'll speak to Vanessa and ask her what, uh, what she would like to achieve in her tenure and uh, what she thinks uh, needs to be changed to make uh, Lismore a greener and uh, more sustainable place. Also, we'll be speaking to Dylan Pugh from the North East Forest Alliance. He'll be talking us through the, uh, what's been going on with the EPBC Act, the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act, uh, has been recently renewed, uh, reviewed by Graham Samuels in the, uh, for, the, for the Federal Parliament. And uh, we'll just get uh, Dylan's views on uh, what's, what's what with the EPBC. We'll have uh, the Eco News with Mia Armitage uh, from the, uh, the community newsroom in Byron Bay. I should say, uh, first of all, uh, before we get too far into the show, uh, I always like to say thank you to the Bunjalung Nation for hosting us here on their land. Uh, we are uh, all uh, living and working on, uh, in stolen land here in uh, Widjibal Weibel country. And uh, I'm very proud to uh, have been uh, welcomed here by elders uh, that of the of those uh, those clans and tribes, and uh, to be uh, to be working hard to try to clean up the mess uh, that my forebears have uh, left behind them. So uh, thank you to the Bunjalung Nation. If you're tuned in on the podcast uh, around the world, the Environmental Is Anything podcast, uh, well, welcome to you. Please give us a, a, a thumbs up, uh, you know, give us a rating and uh, subscribe to our podcast. If you haven't already, it really helps uh, get the word around. And uh, if, you're, uh, if you're able to, uh, get onto our Facebook page and like it and share that with your friends too. That's another great way of sharing the word about Environmental Is Anything with the world at large. I'm going to play some music, which is I'm going to play a request, and then we'll be back uh, with some more talk and the weather. Yeah. 
So cool, uh, and uh, that's a that's a cover of that song. That was a request by one of our, uh, our lovely listeners. Thank you so much for keeping those requests coming in. There's uh, a great backlog of them uh, ready to play for today's show. Keep keep sending them in. We love to hear what you love to hear. So uh, I'd love to play it. Anyway, I was uh, 
drawn into a conversation this week with uh, a respected elder, uh, a man who I've given uh, has given a lot of his life to trying to make the world a better place uh, for us all. Uh, you've probably heard of Richard Jones. He's a, he's a good bloke. Uh, I've, I've uh, admired him for a long time and uh, had, had the pleasure of going out uh, paddling on the harbour with, with him when he was still a parliamentarian uh, back in the, the, in the day. But uh, there was uh, there was some chat going on on his one of his uh, channels, his social channels about uh, Trump's chumps, talking about how shocking it was uh, that uh, people could believe the the paranoid nonsense that uh, that there seems to be millions of them out there uh, actually subscribe to. And while I can agree with the sentiment uh, of shock and horror, I, I'm not actually surprised that people who are defined by their adherence to false narratives are buying into clearly false narratives. I mean, we're talking about people who believe passionately in a big invisible man in the sky who made the universe in six days and sits in judgment over us all for our thoughts, feelings, beliefs and actions. We're we're talking about people who don't believe in science at all. They don't believe in evolution, let alone climatology or epidemiology. I mean, this has been brewing for centuries. I mean, the good news is that their absurd worldview is becoming more patently ludicrous every day. I mean, the bad news is that alarmingly few political leaders dare challenge it and terrifying numbers cynically exploit it, or worse, actually sincerely share it. If the democratically elected government of the United States, the recently elected uh, President Biden and his administration, can actually do its job and implement the Green New Deal bring about the universal basic income, universal free healthcare, universal free education that is required to make a just and democratic society, they'll go a long way toward settling the genuine grievances of the mass of Trump's chumps. If they lock up and nobble the actual fascist terrorist elements, then the nutty beliefs of the mob can fade back into the background of American life to be slowly dealt with by better education and media regulation. In my humble opinion. Anyway, I know that uh, we're all struggling to find a way through all of this, and that's uh, just my musings, my struggling uh, as I as I encounter these issues. I thought I'd share that with you. Thanks for uh, bearing with me. It's nice to get that off my chest. You are tuned in to Environmental as Anything. Thanks for being with us uh, today. And uh, next up on Environmental as Anything, uh, I'm very happy to have the Eco News from the Community Newsroom, read by Mia Armitage. It's John Barillaro versus the IPC after a battle for Sydney's drinking water. Adani gets tricky on Facebook and we follow the money in the US where banks are starting to back Biden in his public battle against climate change. I'm Mia Armitage with Eco News. Starting in New South Wales, where environmentalists and residents in Illawarra have welcomed the Independent Planning Commission's decision to reject the Dendrobian coal mine extension in Sydney. The Sydney-Illawarra region said to be, is said to be the only place in the world where long-wall coal mining is permitted under the public water catchment of a major city. Fossil Fool Bulletin says the extension of the existing South 32-owned Dendrobian mine under Illawarra Sydney's water catchment would have drained between 7 and 8 
billion litres of drinking water every year. The independent publication says the project would have also been responsible for roughly 256 million tonnes of greenhouse gas emission and the destruction of fragile wetlands sitting above the site. The IPC says project proponent South 32 failed to appropriately address concerns in relation to the proposed mine design. Specifically, the IPC has found the proposal unacceptable due to uncertainty over the scale of impacts to the water catchment, the threat to 47 upland swamps above the mine's long walls, a a lack of certainty over claims that Company Blue Scope is dependent on the project and considerable risk of irreversible damage to 58 identified Aboriginal sites. Lock the Gate Alliance has described the decision as a win for common sense. Local Illawarra campaigner from Protect Our Water Alliance, Deirdre Stewart, says the group is absolutely over the moon that the IPC has seen reason and has rejected what she's and rejected what she says would have been a monstrous expansion. But Deputy Premier and New South Wales Nationals leader John Barillaro says he'll seek urgent legal advice as to whether the government can potentially overturn the decision. In Queensland, Frontline Action on Coal member Scott Danes has won a defamation dispute with Adani. Mr Danes has been awarded $2,000 in damages and as part of the agreement, Adani's lawyers have promised a public apology from Adani to the anti-coal activist for making false claims about him on its Facebook page. Adani had used the page to publicly accuse Mr Danes and other flak activists of throwing rocks at Adani workers' cars and kicking car doors during a protest last October. The the company released the statement shortly after flak activists had captured footage of an Adani security guard charging at and assaulting a camera operator at the protest. But despite Adani's lawyers at Ashurst reportedly writing back to Mr Danes and agreeing to an apology, a retraction of the statement and to pay damages, the company has tried to fight a loophole. Instead of posting its apology on the Facebook page the original post first appeared on, which has more than 37,000 followers, Adani has first posted the apology on an obscure Facebook page that had only 50 followers at the time. Adani says until now, this until now unknown page is the Adani Australia Facebook page as opposed to the recently changed Bravis Resources page. Mr Danes says he's written to Adani's lawyers claiming Adani has duped the firm by providing them with false information about the history and status of their social media accounts in an attempt to hide the apology from the public. He says Adani's being devious and untruthful, demonstrating the lowest standards of corporate behaviour and that the company is motivated by malice. The activist says he's continuing to pursue Adani for further costs and for the coal miner to post their apology on the page where the original defamatory post was first published. Meanwhile, Adani is still suing another activist, Brisbane-based Ben Pennings, for his activities opposing the Carmichael mine and has previously bankrupted a traditional owner, Wangan and Jagalingu spokesman Adrian Baragaba, for his attempts to protect country from the massive Carmichael project. And overseas, Reuters says statements this week from one of the central banks in the US, the San Francisco Fed, shows the US Federal Reserve is starting to incorporate global warming impacts into its regulations. The US central bank signalled its intent to measure, analyse and respond to climate-related risks as part of its oversight of individual banks as well as of the broader financial system in a pair of reports issued late last year. One of the reports focused on climate-related risks in terms of supervision and regulation, the other on financial stability. Analysts had to examine the potential effect of climate hazards on bank-held assets as well as the vulnerability of the overall financial 
financial system to abrupt shifts in asset prices if risk perceptions suddenly change. San Francisco Fed economist Glenn Rudderbush has this week said the effects of climate change are inescapable and include far-reaching economic and financial consequences for many households and businesses. He says the Fed is therefore moving to incorporate climate risk into both its micro and macro prudential oversight of banks using tools that could include climate scenario analysis and climate stress tests to measure the banking system's vulnerability to climate-related losses. Some US politicians, mostly Republicans, have been critical of any moves by the Fed to impose climate-oriented regulations on banks. They say financial regulations could make it difficult for oil and gas companies to access capital and jobs and economic growth could suffer as a result. But new US President Joe Biden has publicly said fighting climate change is a pillar of his administration. Today's Eco News stories are sourced from Fossil Full Bulletin, Community Newsroom and Reuters. Mia Armitage, Community Newsroom for Eco News. What's lots of fun and very exciting is to have our new mayor of Lismore, uh, representing the Greens uh, uh, and the rest of Lismore, of course, is Vanessa Eakins. Vanessa, are you with me? I am indeed. Good morning or afternoon. Good afternoon to you. Thank you so much for joining Environmental as Anything today. Ah, oh, that's fine. Thanks for um, contacting me yeah. for comments. Well, it's pretty exciting to, um, I mean, you know, Isaac Smith has been mayor for a long time. He stepped down recently and uh, it seems that you've been handed the baton. Ah, uh, yes, my colleagues um, put their trust in me and it's a big responsibility being mayor, but I'll take it seriously, treat it like a full-time job. Good on you. Good on you. Well, it's a it's a, it's a real honour for you and a, and a real uh, a real boost for those of us who are uh, deeply concerned about the sustainability of uh, Lismore Shire Council and our our region. Yeah. Well, we've got some work to do. Um, the council over the next few months it's only seven months until the next uh, council election. So the councillors are pretty keen to work really closely together to. Um, get a budget and long-term financial plan. So that'll be the main focus for us over the next few months. Um, we're also working on a waste strategy. As you can imagine, waste is uh, a major issue Vitally for important. most communities. Yeah. And um, we need to do it properly. So we're going to spend a bit of time within consulting with the community about what they want in a waste service. And uh, we'll be doing quite a few workshops on that. Well, that's, uh, that's a good way to engage. Uh, you know, it's always important to engage the community, isn't it? Work out what people actually want. That's, the, that's kind of a difficult thing in, a, in local government. Yeah, well, I th- we've all got this idea of waste. is like, oh, it's rubbish, take it away. <laughs> but where is a way? And, um, and that's a question we need to explore, really. What, what is a way? Because nowhere is a way and someone needs to deal with it. So I think we really need to reframe uh, the whole waste question, is it really waste? Is it something that we can turn into something else? Um, can we reuse it? Yeah, we've got so many options because we can't just keep digging big holes and, and dumping stuff in it and, and thinking it's gone away because that's very expensive. We pay huge levies to the state government for everything we dump in a hole and uh, we just we just can't keep um, doing it. It's just, um, yeah, it's not the way of the future. No, it's a very so that's old... Gonna be uh, fun because I'm interested in talking about waste and sewage and things like that. So it's going to be a fun conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it is. It's one of those things that people, they, they do tend to want to turn their backs on and forget about, as you say. Uh, I mean, a, a lot of good work's been put in. I know in Lismore it uh, does have some uh, some chops on the waste front, doesn't it? 
we do, yeah. We've been, um, one of the first things we did is identify that 70% of what went into our wheelie bins was actually organic matter. And that's why we introduced our um, organic waste service, which diverted a huge amount of stuff from the hole in the ground and we're able to convert it into a useful product. So we've, and we've been trying to um, separate our recyclables and we've got a gra- glass crusher, so we crush, crush all our glass and uh, use that um, for before we lay pipes, water and sewer pipes, and in and asphalt for roads. Mm. So yeah, we're turning what was once waste into something really useful and reusable. Fantastic, fantastic. So we've got, yeah, we've got to go further in that respect. Well, where <laughs> is that? Need where, where, to really where do you consider about you know tip vouchers has been a hot topic. People seem to think they want their free tip vouchers so they can take stuff to the tip, but it's like, well, what is this stuff taking to the tip? Is it can we do something else with it? And, um, yeah, instead of just treating it as a waste product. So there'll be some exciting conversations we'll be having in the future. Um, we won't get a waste strategy determined in the next seven months. It's an ongoing process, but at least we're starting it. And it's a bit juicy. Yes, that's a, that's a juicy project. What other, what other juicy projects do you see, uh, you know, needing attention from Lisbon oh, City Council? Well, um, one of the projects that I'm really excited about is rehydrating the catchment. The upper catchment. Um, at the moment, our well, in the recent past, our land practices all revolved around clearing forest and um, building drains and infrastructure that channel water as fast as possible away. <laughs> There's that word away again to somewhere else. And what we're noticing is our farmlands are drying out, the soils are being eroded, and they're not as productive as they once were. So, um, rehydrating the Landscape's a bit like uh, natural sequence farming yep. that Peter Andrews introduced. And if you have a look at the properties where he's worked and the neighbouring properties, which are bare, uh, it um, obviously works as technology. So the idea is that you hold water. Um, instead of letting it drain away, you hold water with contour lines and leaky weirs and things like that. So we've actually got some funding to work with a number of farmers in this area to uh, implement these contours and leaky weirs and attempt to rehydrate those farms and we're actually working on an index so we can measure the hydration uh, results that we're getting. But one of the other benefits of that is also in floodplain management. There's quite a body of emerging research from Australia and around the world that says that planting trees and doing things like contours in the upper catchment actually reduces flood levels and flood velocities. Right. So we've been spending a bit of money, um, sorry, a bit of time doing a literature review of that research um, and funded by Rouse Water and Landcare and Soil Care. Of course, they're the progressive organisations, Landcare and Soil, grassroots organisations mm. that are Australia's exports per, exports around the world. Yep. Uh, so really proud of Landcare for that. Um, so... What we need to do then is feed into some models of the catchment and identify areas that would benefit from rehydration and uh, tree planting right? and what their effect would be on floodplain management. So I'm really excited about that and also the whole focus on the watershed initiative. So we're actually looking at catchment-wide solutions um, and uh, managing our riparian areas so that we do preserve our river corridors as habitat. Only, only in the 70s, two, over 200 families derived an income from the Richmond River. And now about three families do. Wow. 
so and that's such a short time frame and that's due to sedimentation and all those black water events that we're getting which are due to farming practices in the floodplain so 200 so, families derived an income from the the richmond yeah but well what kind of uh, you know income? Uh, fishing mm-hmm. fishing mainly yep right yeah. so actually there was a fishing industry in the richmond back in the 70s that's extraordinary yep. And yeah, so I don't see any reason why we can't get back there, but we know what kind of farming practices are leading to the um, really poor water quality um, outcomes that we have getting in our river. So <laughs> we just need to take a catch and white approach and um, and change our practices. And one of the things I'm really excited about is the investment opportunity that presents and the massive employment opportunity. Yeah that that presents like that is so many jobs for so many people and, doing and things like planting trees and building weirs and changing farming practices uh, education and everything so I see that as a huge growth potential like Absolutely. our area it, our European history in this area has been farming and I really believe that our future in this area is farming and, and um, managing farming produce and yeah I just I think there's so much opportunity and potential. So, because when you say changing practices, I'm sure that there's uh, people out there sort of thinking, "Oh, what have I got to do? I'm going to be, you know, the farmers thinking I'm going to be expected to do this." But when you talk about an investment and employment opportunity, those investment and employment opportunities are going to take place on those farms in the process of making those changes, aren't they? Absolutely. And look, it shouldn't be up to the farmers to fund this. I mean, we all benefit from a more healthy catchment and from less flood impact and from um, greater biodiversity. We all benefit from that and from a healthy farmland. So I, I see no reason why we wouldn't all invest in that. I think it's really important mm. that, you know, it shouldn't be up left to the farmers. I mean, we need their produce. <laughs> we couldn't do anything without them. Um, and so we should be making a contribution to that. Yeah. I strongly believe it. Yeah. No, that's that's so true, so true, and a great vision. I mean, I know I saw some uh, some some idle chatter on the uh, social media uh, yesterday on on the announcement of your uh, your your ascension to this office, and uh, I was uh, you know saying, oh, we should we should build build more levees and then more engineering solutions, basically. And uh, <laughs> you know, clearly, there's an argument to be made for those engineering solutions, but but we really need a, a, a vision that goes beyond, uh, you know, simply well, building another wall, don't we? Absolutely, we do need a vision, and and you know that the walls had its, you know, had its purpose, and this came up at our floodplain meeting this week, where someone said, look, you want to plant trees? Sure, they have. We all acknowledge the are all the benefits that they have in terms of holding soil, providing shade. Um, Increasing the fertility of soil, holding water, providing habitat, uh, storing carbon, providing oxygen, creating rain, etc. All the things that trees do. Um, however, this person said, well, yeah, but it'll take like 10 years. And we just turned around and said, okay, well, we've been sitting in this room for, well, not all of us, but 20 years. And we've spent tens of millions of dollars on concrete levees. Mm. Now, if we'd started planting trees back then and been planting trees that whole time, we would have made a significant difference to the catchment. Mm. And all of the research, a lot of the scientific research about confronting the challenges of climate change all point toward planting trees on a massive scale. Mm. 
mm. for all the reasons that I just mentioned. Absolutely. Yeah. And, so and, all... and, that, and I just see that as a huge investment opportunity mm. and jobs for people. Like mm. Every time we do a tree day here, we just hundreds of people come out and want to plant trees. Yes. People love it. Yeah. And then there's the ongoing maintenance of those trees, which is a permanent job for people. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I just see it as a positive all the way around. Well, it sounds a lot like the, uh, the 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 dam issue, which has been recently uh, so hot on the agenda yes. for the local community. I know that's coming up again uh, this week, isn't it? Uh, there's going yes, to be a decision in Rouse. Yes. Sorry, say again. Yeah, on Wednesday, um, some councillors have lodged a rescission motion, which means that we re-examine the decision we made not to proceed with the Danoon Dam. Mm. So we'll be debating that on Wednesday. Uh, I really hope that council stays with the decision we made, which is a really a decision that was really hard to come to and engage, engaged a lot of people. Mm. Um, ten, yeah, 10 years ago in 2010, Rouse Water went to our community and said, um, what about a Danoon Dam? And our community said, well, let's look at all the other options. And so we embarked on a two-year process of consultation on future water strategies where we engaged um, members of our community who represented the demographic of our community. So they were same age, sex, um, cultural background uh, of our community. And they spent two years going through all of the information with experts and identifying their priorities. And after this extensive process that they did as volunteers, um, they came up with some options which were, let's manage our demand for water, um, let's recycle water and let's examine groundwater. And 10 years later, they're the same options that we've come up again after another process. Yep. Yep. And I don't understand what the objection is to recycling water. <laughs> um, I really don't. Like, it's another thing that we use as waste. Like, if you look at households' water use, 2% of it is used for drinking and cooking, a tiny, tiny percentage. Yeah. The rest of it is flushed down the toilet or in the shower or the laundry. Yep. Um, and when it's dry on the coast, it's mostly put into people's gardens. Mm. Now, we don't need drinking quality water to do that. No. We do not. So, And once it goes into the drain, it's treated as waste, it's expensively treated, then put into the downstream environment. I don't see why we shouldn't be purifying that water and redistributing it so people can flush their toilets. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's not like you need pure water to flush your toilet with. No, that's, that's, but there, there, is, yeah. there is a certain logic to that. It's inescapable. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, look, I, I think there's been a lot of community outrage about the dam. Obviously, just yesterday there was another rally in Lismore here where people marched to Rouse County Council. I think Rouse County Council was closed at the time, but there were photographs of it all over social media. Yeah. And, uh, lots of support for your position there. Lots of support for the for the Rouse County Council's strong position of uh, finding a, a sustainable option. So. Strength to your arm, Vanessa. Good work. Congratulations on being appointed uh, the Mayor of Lismore. Thank you very much. And um, hopefully we'll talk again about the progress of rehydration. I would really and, like that. That's a nature-based solution. You've made a lot of sense today, and I think that uh, people <laughs> people will enjoy uh, hearing from you again. So we'll, we'll keep, keep in touch, eh? Thanks very much. No worries, mate. Right. Have a great day. Afternoon. Bye. Bye. So, uh, water, water everywhere, but in the meantime, in the federal uh, uh, sphere, 
uh, the uh, the Morrison government uh, must overhaul Australia's environment. The, uh, this is from The Guardian, uh, in, including establishing new independent bodies to take on responsibility for monitoring the environment and enforcing compliance with the law, a once-in-a-decade independent review has found. The final report from the review of the laws finds the environment is suffering from two decades of failure by governments to improve protection systems meant to ensure the survival of the country's unique wildlife. The head of the review, former competition watchdog head Graham Samuel, made 38 recommendations to transform the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation, EPBC Act. I have on the line renowned local conservationist uh, Dylan Pugh to give us uh, the perspective of the North East Forest Alliance on the implications of the EPBC Act review for our forests. Dylan, hello. Can you hear me? Uh, I can. G'day, Thank you everyone. for joining us on Environmental as Anything today. No worries. So, uh, yes, Graham Samuel has uh, handed in his review. It seems to have been, it seems to be quite credible, quite thorough. Uh, what, how was, how was, did you feel about it? What was your response? Um, look, undoubtedly it's long overdue. I mean, it's really significant that he basically found that the uh, current legislation says the federal laws to protect uh, uh, threatened species, you know, nationally endangered species and ecosystems, the Great Barrier Reef, um, all these important uh, matters of national environmental significance are not up to task, that they're deteriorating uh, under the the current regime then there's a piecemeal approach that's uh, just not working um, and that really if, if we want to stop the deterioration of our um, nationally significant assets environmental assets we need to, to improve the law so we need a, a significantly improved EPBC Act and uh, he, his uh, main uh, trust is that what we need is national environmental standards. So these are uh, basic requirements that what, what you must achieve uh, for our uh, nationally significant uh, environmental assets, uh, you know, particularly our, our threatened species and our migratory species and so on. Uh, you must basically uh, improve their um, uh, habitat, so our standards uh, uh, need to protect and enhance the things that they're meant to be uh, protecting rather than just to have this piecemeal approach where they continue to decline uh, and the, the current legislation is just not up to speed and the trouble we have is that despite these recommendations the federal government uh, is sort of continuing down the same path where what they want to do is hand all environmental responsibility over to the states without adopting these basic national standards that Samuel says are absolutely essential if you want to turn this around, if you want to stop the ongoing decline in these uh, environments and these species. Yes, uh, I see a report in The Guardian from uh, 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 two days ago which says exactly that, that a document given to Senate crossbenchers outlines a plan to transfer environmental decision-making powers to states and territories and that they're preparing to reject the recommendation that it re introduce strong national environmental standards to improve the protection of Australian wildlife. Uh, you know, just continuing on uh, mimicking the failing existing laws is the way The, uh, the Guardian puts it. 
Uh, yes, and, look, and, and thankfully the, um, the crossbenchers uh, have already objected to the government's proposed new laws. Uh, uh, this was some months ago and they wanted to wait and see what the Samuels report finally, finally said when the final report was released. Which I think it was completed in October, and, but it wasn't released until uh, only a couple of weeks ago. Um, but So the government sat on it for a long time. Mm. Uh, so um, it, it is heartening that we they probably won't get it their proposed weakening of the of the rules and their hand over to the states without these national standards through through the federal parliament. So uh, that is good news. Um, yes. But how do we get to where we need to go is the hard question. And the, you know we need we need to uh, at least get these national standards up. You know they're they're reasonable standards, I suppose. What's been put forward by Samuel it's only a start. He's saying we need to have more later on. But the the basic thing is to is to set set a, 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 a baseline that, you know, um, we've got to comply with the principles of uh, ecology sustainable development mm. um, and the uh, a principle of non-regression, i.e. we don't want to let things get worse, we want things to actually get better or, or at least stay the same <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, uh, we don't want unacceptable and unsustainable impacts on these matters of national environmental significance. Mm. We want to minimise harms to them. So these are all things that he wants in the standards that aren't there now. At the, mo- at the moment, for example, with our uh, regional forest agreement, so um, most states with major forest areas entered into regional forest agreements with the Commonwealth um, uh, around the year 2000, you know, give or take a year or two, uh, and these were uh, to devolve the Commonwealth of its responsibility for... Um, uh, forestry really at the state level so they um, uh, this was their way of uh, of exempting themselves from the environmental uh, the EPBC Act um, and uh, passing that responsibility onto the states was through the regional forest agreements <clears throat> and they had requirements that to uh, to establish a a, a national reserve system there were uh, national targets for uh, to, to be achieved in, in meeting that reserve system, and they had ta- uh, requirements for ecologically sustainable forest management. But what, what came out of that was they were whatever you said they were. So if you create a little park here and a little one there, and you called it a comprehensive, adequate, and representative reserve system, that's what it was. Mm. Didn't matter if it didn't meet the national targets, didn't meet it, matter if it was grossly inadequate, as long as you called it a comprehensive, <laughs> adequate, and representative reserve system, it met all the requirements of the EPBC Act. And the same with ecologically sustainable forest management. You can do whatever you like, and as long as you called it ecologically sustainable uh, forest management, that's what it was legally taken to be. Yeah. And so we've had this rorted process where we've had these inadequate reserve systems, we've had these inadequate logging uh, requirements, and there's nothing the uh, Commonwealth will do about it. Um, they just uh, let it stand. There's nothing the courts will do about it because of this uh, overriding thing that if you call it, that's what it is. Yes, and it's, it's not really the way it works, is it? Like here in the reality-based community, we, we, we'd call that a lie. You know, but anyway, the, 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 one of Samuel's uh, uh, recommendations was to abolish the effective exemption from environmental laws granted to all native forest logging covered by regional forestry agreements between the federal and state governments, wasn't it? 
Uh, yes, he was very strong on that, and, and he, he's calling for immediate reform. He's saying that uh, the uh, RFA, Regional Forest Agreements, are not up to speed. They don't meet the requirements of the EPPC Act, and they've got to be uh, immediate, immediate. Right now, reforms required, and what he's suggesting is that these um, uh, national environmental standards he's recommending become the litmus test for the regional forest agreement. So rather than this nebulous idea that if you call it something, that's what it is, you actually got to meet some some criteria and some targets, and those criteria are laid down in these uh, uh, national environmental standards. And so that's, that, that's his main recommendation. But, of course, the trouble is that the federal government's trying to adopt wishy-washy national standards that are just like the RFA. You can take them to mean whatever you like. And we, we go back to square one, where our uh, nationally our uh, threatened species continue to decline, and the federal government uh, attempts, as they have with the regional forest agreements, to wash their hands of them and pass all responsibility over to the states. Yes, right. So, so do do we see a do, do you see a potential uh, you know political solution here in any sense? Is is the Labor Party getting it behind uh, you know Samuel's recommendations of the ALP looking like they might you know back them strongly and and implement them? Uh, you know, what about the crossbenchers? What what's it looking like at that on those on those two fronts? Um, look, certainly there are moves afoot at the federal level politically to get uh, these some better national standards and I hope that happens. Um, in terms of the uh, ALP when it comes to forestry matters, they're not environment's friend really. They, um, they kowtow to the, to the unions by and large on, on these forestry issues. So I wouldn't expect anything uh, directly from them and uh, obviously if you, want, if you want to get the numbers in Parliament we need their support but nonetheless it, uh, if, these, if we do get meaningful uh, national standards up and, and somehow we get those to apply to the RFAs that will make a difference, that will set that benchmark and look I have no doubt most of the forestry operations uh, occurring in northeast New South Wales don't meet that criteria. There's grossly inadequate protection of a threatened species. And I've written to the feds uh, numerous times about that, and including to the ALP when they were in charge of it, and they basically just ignore it and say it's a state responsibility, and then the state just says, oh, well, we'll just do what we like, and they basically ignore like the federal recovery plans and these other things that are required to mitigate the impacts on, on some of these species. So. Yeah. I'm not hopeful, um, but there is that window of opportunity, and, and at least we have this independent review of the EPB and CAC saying that the uh, RFAs are one of the major problems, and I think they exemplify the problem with continuing down the path the, the uh, federal government currently trying to do, which is to hand everything over to the states without these explicit uh, standards behind mm. them. Yeah. Well, uh, look, we'll have to, I guess we'll have to uh, wait and see how that goes and keep. Uh, hopefully the community can keep uh, applying the pressure, the blowtorch to the various different players to get them to actually uh, to respond to this uh, the carefully reasoned and evidence-based uh, approach. But in the meantime, I guess part of that process is people getting back out into the forest. I understand there's uh, action happening this Friday in, uh, in Double Duke State Forest, is there? Uh, yeah, that's um, one of the the next areas proposed for logging by the Forestry Corporation. You know, so far they've they've backed off uh, Bunga Bee and they've backed off Myrtle State Forest due to community pressure. So the next one uh, on the list is uh, Double Duke State Forest. So 
we're going to go and start assessing that and collecting information about why it's important and why it should be protected uh, and hopefully achieve the same result we did with Bungabee and Myrtle, which is at least to get it uh, removed from the locking schedule for the time being. We don't know for how long, but uh, if we can keep the public pressure up, you know, maybe we can start forcing some results. And in this area, uh, it's obviously koalas are, are, the, are the key uh, species, and that's a nationally listed species. But, you know, the, the federal government won't, won't even re- uh, prepare the recovery plan required for it, which is long overdue. Mm. So um, we're certainly not getting the traction there with the federal government in terms of doing anything meaningful. Uh, and that's in part because of the RFA uh, exemption. All right. Well, uh, yeah, we'll be able to uh, share links with people if they want to get to those uh, those events. The Double Duke actions happening this week will be uh, will be advertised the, through the uh, Environmental as Anything Facebook page and uh, also on the Northeast Forest Alliance uh, uh, Facebook page, I imagine. And uh, yep. there'll be uh, there'll be uh, you know if you're on the email list or if you're in the in the loop already, you'll be uh, kept up to speed with those things. So come along. Look, uh, Dylan, we better move on. But uh, thank you very much for your time today. No worries. We really appreciate uh, your input and uh, your continued uh, good work. Okay. Well, thank you very much for giving me the time. No worries. Have a good day. We'll talk soon. Okay. All right. See ya. That was Dylan Pugh, president of the Northeast Forest Alliance, talking about the uh, recent uh, EPBC review and uh, the, uh, uh, the the response of the federal government, which I think he typified as completely inadequate. We just had uh, Chibo on the line, uh, telling me, to, reminding me that uh, it's thirteen years today. Since uh, the since the Kevin Rudd made the uh, statement, the, the sorry statement, uh, so, uh, wow. saying, said sorry to yes, Indigenous people of this country, long overdue, mm. and good to commemorate it. Remember to, it. It is good to remember it, and uh, he reminded me of it uh, earlier before I got on the show, and I did forget. So my apologies to you, Chibo, and my apologies to uh, you know our Indigenous. Uh, uh, landlords, the people who own this country, the, <laughs> the Bunjalung Nation and the Wujibal Wyabal people, I'm sorry. Sorry for the terrible uh, horrors that have been practised here in the past, uh, the, the genocide that was attempted and which continues to this day amongst, uh, in, in, in certain respects. And uh, I hope that uh, we can continue to work together to rectify those injustices and the evils of the past. Welcome, Naomi. Thank you. How are you doing over there? Oh, well, I am still on high from our collaboration with the Widgeable Wobble people on Friday night, last evening from 5pm at the No Dam Rally. That was a real example of healing the genocide and the ecocide somewhat. Yeah, so we had elders... Um, from the Widgeable Weibel family clan of Roberts and King, a few other surnames there, but a big row of aunties and an Uncle Stephen Roberts and um, his um, Cindy Roberts. So that was wonderful, a wonderful Indigenous-led event. That what was the uh, purpose of the gathering? The No Dam Rally. Uh, it was about the land. There's a rescission motion coming up on Wednesday the 17th that will be discussed by the Rouse County councillors. Um, 
regarding the the land, whether to give it back to the mob or not. Um, and that's really critical because if, if it is given back, then that really puts the kibosh on the dam. And it is ancestral land in that it was a burial area for um, the people, mm-hmm. the Wujibu Wiable people. One of the aunties mentioned um, ancestors buried there. Nobody wants their ancestors' burial sites to be uh, desecrated. Ideally not. No. Fair yes. enough. That's a normal human concern, and we can all sympathise with that, absolutely, I'm sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. And the fact that it's significant um, endangered ecological community, it's, um, it's, there's so many other values to that land, and um, a dam would destroy it. It is one of the greatest things that Aussies have to be proud of about this country is the uh, the fact that we have uh, joined with the, uh, the 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 First Nations of this country, the the Aboriginal people, and uh, and are now the inheritors of the sixty five thousand years of culture and civilization that they had uh, lived here in sustainable. Uh, you know, in a sustainable manner for uh, for that whole time. So it's, it's, such it's wonderful. Such a privilege. Yeah. Such a privilege. Yeah. Yeah. No. And and it's interesting that the collaboration that happens through activism, um, I've met and collaborated with um, Githable people, now Wichita Wiable people, and I feel very lucky and fortunate um, for those interactions and collaborations. So, um, thank you. Yes. I think thank you is a good response. Aside from sorry, sorry is the first thing. Yes. Say sorry. But 13 years ago, Kevin Rudd said sorry on behalf of the nation. I think that the next stage that we need to get to is where we start, uh, you know, effectively saying thank you. Yes. For everything that uh, the, the, uh, the, the Indigenous people of this country have given us. Yeah, well, like nature-based solutions. Let's get on with some nature-based solutions and some uh, rehydrating the landscape. As Mm. Vanessa Eakin suggested earlier, that would be another good thank you, wouldn't it? That's right, indeed. Yeah. So, big week. We had the film afterwards as well, the Forest Defenders film. and that's great. That's great. That's freely available on YouTube and other platforms um, put out by the Bob Brown Foundation. Um, Totally activist-made film. Brilliant. It was an extraordinary uh, effort. They say that it was made entirely with mobile phones. Yes. um, I think actually the filmmaker recommends a little device that's the size of a mobile phone and has this amazing kind of steady cam effect. And they used that a lot because... the film's really crisp. Very high Really, yeah. you know, you can really appreciate the beauty of the old growth that they're defending, even though it's badly decimated old growth. Spectacular. And, and again, mm. like, you know, we, we, we continue to move forward with technologies and, uh, and media and other fields that, uh, you know, like we would never have been able to make those movies when I was first set. I was watching those tree sits and looking and thinking how hard it would have been to have made any of that film uh, back in the, the, the late 80s and early 90s. And... Yet here, uh, here we are, and it's it's actually affordable and accessible, and anybody can download it and look at it, and it's easy to distribute, and fantastically inspiring film from from Tasmania, which applies to the forests across the whole country and are indeed around the world. Yeah, well, great for the tree sit technology being old, <laughs> old school. That's good. That can keep going. Yeah, tree sits <laughs> no, have been around for a while, but they've improved a bit since uh, since the ones I set up in I, the Coolangubra. Yeah. It's more fun. Yeah, with uh, being able to film it like that. So yeah. Shall we move on to other forest news, perhaps? It's your half hour. You're, the, uh, you're, you're shining your light on the, uh, the, the people of Lismore from the, uh, from the great height of the Lismore Environment Centre. Oh, well, no, it's a community organisation. We're grassroots as everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, shall we do the forest news? Yeah. If you prefer. Yes, yes, indeed. 
I like this first leading uh, um, thing. I always love thing about wildlife. Red-legged paddy melons are doing well after the fires. Long-nosed potteroos not so well, and golden-tipped bats badly. Um, and the main thing is more media coming out to emphasise that logging increases fires and makes them worse. Yes, it's it's one of those stories where people continue to uh, be be ha- have the fog of. Uh, of lies essentially spread about by the murdocracy to suggest that somehow logging uh, reduces fire risk, but it's the exact opposite. It's true. Logging opens up canopies and increases the amount of heat, light, etc., that's getting onto the floor and drying it out, and yes. also creates younger uh, and more flammable uh, regrowth, uh, you know, and weed growth throughout the understories of the forests weakens their their resilience to the fires when they do come through uh, reduces the capacity of the animals etc in the forests to be able to bounce back that's right and changes shifts the species toward more fire tolerant species Mm. which in our area is um, not necessarily a desired shift because we have native rainforest which is fire retardant Um, and that was what was so appalling in the Forest Defenders film that um, not only do they clear fell extremely ancient, extremely large tracts of forest, mm. very high trees. Yeah, brutal. Uh, that sus they, ta- ta- sus yeah. timbers, Tasmania, brutal. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So they clear fell and then they firebomb, mm. which leaves um, trace hydrocarbons and then they uh, seed with a the monoculture. They seed with eucalypts that mm. are not native to that area. And it yeah. just seems just appalling. No, oh, no. They call it terraforming and it was, and that's an appropriate... Uh, uh, appropriate term, but uh, but on the fire, fire, fires and and causing and or and or preventing uh, fires, there's a you know a lo- logging also of course uh, releases carbon from the soil and uh, and ends up being burnt a lot of uh, you know a lot of timber etc ends up being burnt all of that carbon ends up in the atmosphere and our carbon sinks are reduced in their capacity to soak up the the uh, the carbon that we we need to to re- you know remove from the atmosphere so it it has the longer term effect of increasing the flammability of the planet uh, by heating it up across the board. So it, it's it's this from go to woe. Uh, good to see the media, uh, you know, actually talking about the fact that logging does increase uh, the the risk of fire uh, throughout our our forests. Ah, oh, it's awful. Yes. Also, speaking of burning forests, uh, in that uh, list of stories was the burning forests for biomass story. Mm. We were talking about the uh, uh, the uh, greenies, the environmentalists, uh, you know, t- uh, are talking about the, uh, uh, the the fact that uh, the serious emissions, ha- uh, serious mission for years has been to provide a supply of small logs to the burgeoning worldwide market for wood pellets, forest biomass, and to burn the fuel to produce electricity both here and overseas in countries like Japan. So that's that they're talking about. That's that's what uh, our forest corps uh, considers to be its mission. Oh, it's just the dumbest thing ever. Mm. Yeah. So they're saying that new forestry rules will allow 140,000 hectares of forest to be virtually clear felled from South Tarree to Grafton uh, in areas of up to 60 hectares. They were previously allowed to have a quarter of a hectare at a time. They're now allowed to have 60 hectares. So uh, that's oh. 240 times as big a clear fell as they were previously no allowed. No way. And so they're converting these complex forest types into single species monocultures and, in fact, just just dead zones. That oh. is what they're actually producing. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. So then, and then throwing the, throwing our carbon sinks into the uh, the furnaces and calling it a renewable energy source. Ah, Brilliant. Mm. 
Anyway. No. So. Not. No. Anyway. What else have we got then? Um, genetic sequencing of koalas. New South Wales has 49 distinct populations of the marsupial and researchers want to collect samples uh, with at least 20 animals in each. So it shows how um, fragmentation and um, habitat loss really, dry, you know, their, their genetic diversity is already off the cliff, fallen off the cliff because of, because of fragmentation and some populations really disappearing. Yes, uh, it is an appalling situation. And but but you know, like it just to, to sort of tie it back to the uh, uh, the burning of forests. There is uh, the news out uh, just today. Just uh, come through my email that we've um, had it, and the the North Coast Environment Council has been appealing a decision, which is to refuse to give them the information on uh, where uh, forest wood volumes are coming from to fuel. Cape Byron Power, oh. and uh, apparently Cape Byron Power is very, very secretive about uh, the the facts regarding its uh, its uh, its fuel sources. Mm. Um, it uh, it likes to paint itself green, but it doesn't like to actually reveal uh, the, the the facts. And mm. it has uh, fought tooth and nail through the courts to prevent uh, the public information being made public. Mm. And uh, and and so the case has just been settled. Uh, and, and and apparently against the interest of the community and for oh, no. the interests of the uh, corporate um, oh dear uh, consu- forest consumer the Cape oh. Byron Power. So yeah, well that's mo- all smoke and mirrors in the sense that it doesn't matter even if they are they said oh we can burn some camphor you can smell the camphor coming off their wood chip piles but you can also smell the gum there's mm. definitely gum turpentine in there so. It's all it's all worse than having a standing tree. That's yeah. right, a standing yeah. camphor or a standing eucalypt. But yeah. the, the massive numbers of eucalypts which are clearly being fed in, mm. even if they're fe- feeding pine forests and fi- pine uh, uh, plantations into those uh, mm. those chip those chippers and uh, into those furnaces, they're still going up in smoke, mm. creating more carbon than they yeah. would have produced if they uh, had just burnt coal. Yeah, paper so and wood need auditing all over the world that we look after it and really make it sustainable. It's one of those things that in third world countries is all, you know, murder and mayhem and corruption and yeah. overlogging. So we know that. Indeed. Mm. But, uh, so yes, lots of uh, yeah, lots of lots of big stories on the forest this week. Yeah. Um, what uh, we've got Western Australia and Tasmania both uh, ramping up their their mm. forest campaigns. My yes. Forest wars sparking up in Tasmania and also uh, Western Australians getting ready for their state election coming up uh, by uh, by trying to promote the benefits of preserving the uh, native forests there from. And protecting them from uh, from being logged into extinction. Oh, please do! They're beautiful. The carrier, huge mm. down there in southwest Western Australia. They've already removed so much of it of the old forest in WA that the rainfall has decreased in the southwest west of Western Australia. Mm. So they need to hang on to what they've got. Um, beautiful big old forest down there. There's an no- interesting note here about um, Byron Bay uh, Hospital, Byron Bay Wildlife Hospital expands to include raptors. So I can't imagine sticking a very great big towel over a downed 
sea eagle or anything and the beak would come straight through. He'd have mm, to have yeah. a couple of blankets and some steel gloves, I think. He'd be a better man than I to, to <laughs> try that, I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh, get woman. some training, I think. Yeah, yeah. definitely some training. <laughs> and, uh, like you say, a suit of armour. Yeah. Mm, mm. Yes, our friend Sue James, the koala uh, rescuer, has said she, uh, she's told me a few times I've been bitten mm. Yeah, <laughs> by koalas. You know, um, they've got teeth. Ungrateful little buggers. <laughs> no, no, you can understand how terrifying it would be to oh, be yes. suddenly captured by humans. It'd be like uh, by, like being abducted by aliens. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, not fun for the uh, wildlife. But, yeah. you know, it can extend their lives. Indeed, indeed. And so then there's, uh, there's more stories of the government uh, failing the environment. Uh, uh, you know, the federal and state inaction uh, on, and lack of coordination to combat climate change and protecting forests and biodiversities have enjoyed uh, validation in, late, in recent... Uh, uh, the, the concerns of environmentalists about these have enjoyed some validation in recent government commission reviews. And we talked about the, uh, uh, the Samuels review recently. There's also the Auditor General's review of planning uh, for the secure water supply. And so there's a, there's some some media on that mm. just recently, which is good to see. Yeah, that's a big. I've heard a lot in the media about making agriculture carbon neutral. Oh. So yeah, how do we do that? Um, it's what a good news story. Yeah, how do we do that? What can we do more to? And and even if you have a farm that's positively sequestering carbon, what a great thing! And we need to. You know, have lots of sharing and education about how to move forward with all these nature-based solutions and yeah. help farmers to do it. Absolutely. It's a shame uh, there isn't a, uh, a major political party that's dedicated to the interests of farmers uh, because uh, if we had one, they would be all for, uh, you know, ca- like pricing carbon and giving uh, the, the, the benefits to the uh, yeah. Uh, to, to the farmers. But, uh, oh, actually, hang on. There is there is one, isn't there? That's right. The Greens <laughs> have been doing that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, it says oh, in the news, um, Michael McCormick has thrown a spanner in the works by suggesting agriculture be excluded from the net zero um, uh, target. Yeah, so explicitly, uh, you know, exclude agriculture from benefiting from the carbon sequestration that they can do. That's yeah, just no. brilliant. Now, yeah. so who are the nationals representing? Oh, that's right, the coal mining yeah. industry. Yeah, not, not yeah. science and yeah. rationalism. No, 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 and certainly not farmers. No. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, I have got a interesting story about whales. Um oh. I'd like to congratulate researchers at Southern Cross University because um, I remember walking along beautiful Lennox Headland over and then over to Skinner's Head where there's a spot where whale watchers from uh, as a ground crew mm-hmm. and there's a sea crew and the, and they um, as you can you know the whales you know you go there to whale watch and you can see the whales tracking across the horizon whether they're going up north or down south and um, I've so I've spoken to the whale watchers on the the coast there and they're saying okay well so they we track it from the from the coast and they they get the photos of the tail fins Mm. so we can individually identify them and so that process has become refined that um, whale photo databases um, can instantaneously compare whale markings the multi-feature algorithms can track whales going back more than 25 years and the international whaling commission recognizes two citizen science catalogs fluke book 
whale.org and happywhale.com, um, <laughs> which is wonderful. So it, an individual will not only have a unique tail fluke pattern, but also those giant flippers on each side, which are the flukes. And so any part of the whale can be photographed and then using, um, you know, modern technology, it can be uh, uniquely patterned. It's, its markings on its fins and flukes are... It's amazing. Yeah. Isn't it? Yes, they 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 used to have to take a you know stab the whale with a basically take a biopsy, take a chunk of flesh out of the whale mm. to be able to do a genetic test for it. Yeah. Now they just take photos of its of its tail as they as they wave them around at us. So it's a it's, it's fantastic, much, much less invasive. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure the Southern Cross has been working on that for at least ten years. So mm. yeah. and it's world first um, in the level of their sort of the way that they can fingerprint the whales. Fantastic. Yeah. Tail tail print. I think tail print. Tail print. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah, just chasing tail, I think they call it in the whaling industry. Now. <laughs> and then sticking it on happywhale.com. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> whale social media will take over the world yet. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's beautiful. I yeah. love it. A bit right. of wild, wildlife. I've got to say, there's one other good news story that they, uh, they've got here from uh, sciencedaily.com that uh, trees are better than we thought. And new research from West Virginia University biologists shows that trees around the world are consuming more carbon dioxide than previously reported, making forests even more important in regulating the Earth's atmosphere and forever, shi- and forever shift now we think about climate change. Uh, I'm not sure what that last sentence means. In the study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science, Professor Richard uh, Thomas and alumnus uh, Justin Matthias uh, synthesised published tree ring studies they found that increases in carbon dioxide in the atmosphere over the past century have caused an uptick in trees' water use efficiency. The ratio of carbon dioxide taken up by photosynthesis in the water you've lost by transpiration, the act of trees breathing out water vapour. Anyway, it goes on to some technicalities which ah. are a little bit above my pay grade, but good news if, they're, uh, if the trees are actually consuming a bit more carbon than yes, we expected. yeah. Getting efficient at water. Mm. That's amazing, aren't they? Amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. Well, I well, think before we run out of time, better move on to events. Sure, whatever yeah. you reckon. It's yeah. your half hour. Uh, I'm quite bummed to have missed out on the Northern Rivers Ultimate Fungal Wizardry Workshop, which yes. is on this morning. Uh, you know, they have <laughs> they have such great language in there. Fungal wizardry. Fungal wizardry. Exciting, yeah. Yep. Uh, experiential workshop and learning how to create, you know, food sources for your mushrooms. Um, Oh, just oh! You will learn the art of outdoor wizardry to grow mushrooms on logs and create outdoor mushroom beds with unlimited access to our outdoor fungal wizardry course. Anyway, <laughs> it goes on. I wish I'd caught it. Um, but moving right along, there's an interesting um, New South Wales climate update 2021 on Monday at 5:30 p.m. It's obviously a uh, Zoom meeting by the Sydney Environmental Institute. Join a panel of leading thinkers to review the latest developments and state-based responses to climate change in New South Wales. So, um, yeah, that could be quite interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. Hmm. Now, this one interests me. Grant Ready, know your government funding opportunities. Uh, I'm going to try and whip my ass to get along to that one on Tuesday the 16th at 10am. Mm-hmm. Keep us uh, having moolah for our tiny little organizations but this one is run by this uh lismore's own university center for rural health we have a branch here in lismore climate engagement psychological changes and community conversations um that is on thursday february 18th at 4 p.m to 5 p.m and it's uh it's actually 
uh, about the grief, like as an activist, you have to confront the grief, face the awfulness of it all and keep going mm. and not exclude the, the grief and the loss and the horror and the fear from your um, dialogue and your, or your ways of being and thinking because that also is decolonization of your thinking too because... Uh, traditional custodians and original peoples have to confront that all the time because it's just the scars across their very lives. Mm. Uh, um, so uh, Dr. Sally Gillespie worked as a Jungian psychologist, psychotherapist, and she's undertaken doctoral research into the psychological experience of ongoing climate engagement. So she's from, uh, I think that would be, uh, she, Sally is a member of Psychology for a Safe Climate and the Climate Psychology Alliance. So that's a good one to get along for for some um, renewal and, and really thinking about what you're doing as an activist. And so is that an, another online one? Yeah, that's an okay. online one. Great. Yeah. Right. Got some... Uh, well, the real real world one's next Saturday, Retro Suburbia, oh. uh, outside uh, the Lismore Art Gallery on the Rural Street side, 10 a.m. to 12. I must get along to a Retro Suburbia. Mm. It's about retrofitting homes and lives for greater resilience and emission reductions. Um, following the lead of David Holmgren, um, he has his book Retro Suburbia. So um, bring plants, seeds, produce to share. What a great forum for thinking about things like, oh, if you have a particular plastic gadget in your home and you wanted to go fossil fuel free, what are you going to do about that? You know, mm. how are you going to go carbon neutral in your life even more than you have already? Yeah. So yeah, Lovely. very positive. Very, very good. Um, there's a um, uh, real life protests in Sydney, climate jobs and justice now, no narrow by project, no gas fired recovery. Uh, that's on uh, also Saturday 20th in the week's time. I'm just thinking it's good that the Sydney siders get out and express some rage and angst. Mm. Um, and next Sunday, not tomorrow, but uh, Sunday in a week, really, really free market for February 2021. And it's moved to a new time, 9am to 11am at the community gardens. So quite a rocking little scene there yeah get along give away some things or check out what's available mm. yeah brilliant yeah and another one that i'd really like to not miss indigenous perspectives on decolonial futures gathering which is an online gathering um uh you know it sounds a little bit intellectual and engaging but there's a really lovely graphic there um i think it's something that a lot of oh I can hear myself. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, what I've got in terms of events. Can you think of anything else? We mentioned the. Uh, there's probably going to be a protest outside um, the Rouse County Council building on Molesworth Street, Wednesday the 17th, 12 to 2 p.m. When they're talking about uh, within the within the building, there they'll be talking about the precision motion that we've mentioned a few times today. Oh, absolutely. That's right. And mm. uh, you know, our new mayor. Vanessa Eakins was on telling us about earlier in the show as well. Yeah. So that's good. Get along and, uh, or, uh, you know, like watch online and be, uh, you know, stay, stay up to speed with that. I'm sure that they uh, they can't uh, go against the massive uh, weight of community concern about the, the building of that dam and start, you know, backsliding on the good decision that they made. No, that's right. But, um, yes, well, if you're asking me, I think that uh, the two news stories that I was particularly excited to see this week, uh, which we haven't really mentioned yet, is basically the, uh, the, the collapse of fossil fools 
continuing uh, and and re- and increasing in pace. Exxon Mobil has dumped its Bass Strait sale <gasps> after Woodside uh, debacle and is and a big warning from Canberra. So they've uh, Woodside dumped its its oil rig into a two dollar company. This is in the Bass Strait to dodge the big clean up uh, bill that they would ha- be liable for after uh, the 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 decades of making billions out of it. Uh, but Exxon uh, tried to uh, to do a similar stunt uh, with its Bass Strait oil and gas assets, but uh, dumped the idea uh, after the Minister for Resources, Keith Pitt, uh, stood up to them. So there's there's some there's a turn up for the books. Yeah, uh, you know the the scummo regime uh, spinelessly uh, <laughs> d- d- lying supine before the fossil fools <laughs> suddenly stands up and says no. So that's a good thing. Mm. Uh, things must be getting grim. For yeah. Them. And then AGL has ra- read the writing on the wall and uh, wrote down the value of their production assets and contracts by two point seven billion dollars. Mm. Uh, Origin Energy and the Queensland government's coal generators similarly wrote down the value of their assets, and uh, it's remarkable worth more than a third of the value of the total shareholders' equity in AGL. Wow. So a seminal uh, event in Australia's electricity industry, according to the Herald, Bruce Mountain, uh, who says that the AGL is the oldest and by far the largest electricity company in Australia, long concessionaire of the New South Wales government. It went out of its way to, uh, <laughs> you know, after its liberation from, uh, from public ownership to build a portfolio of coal-fired power stations. So it's the largest single greenhouse gas emitter in Australia, but those coal-fired power stations are no longer economically viable here in Australia, just as in the US now they've uh, recently determined that there are no coal-fired power stations in the US which are actually economically viable to continue to maintain. Holy crap. So, uh, you know, like there's the fossil fools continue to bleat about uh, how they should be propped up by taxpayers' dollars, but really what we want is uh, cheap, clean, reliable, uh, renewable energy so that we can have, uh, you know, a a renewable prosperity Mm. instead of having to keep handing out to these parasites. But anyway, mm. now they're on the, they're all on the slide, they're all on the skids, and uh, <laughs> yeah. you know we'll good be, news. Well, yeah, it is good news. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, and their corrupt practices. I mean, Santos Narrowboat Gas Project got written by down by two billion the other year too. It's just a habit they have. Oh, oh. yeah, no fossil fuels around the country are, are are going out the door backwards, and yeah, they they're uh, they've continued. The only thing that continues to prop them up is their uh, continued corrupt practices of uh, buying our governments uh, from us. But anyway, we've got just about no time left at all. So uh, <laughs> unless there's a, what can you fit into the last thirty oh, seconds well, that you might that we can um, squeeze in? Uh, you must have heard of the Walloon Institute or the Maloon Institute and their you know natural sequence farming and getting water back into the landscape. Um, you know regenerative agriculture practices. They're doing it in the U.S. What a great project in Montana! Ten thousand willows planted. I'm guessing the beavers will find that appealing with a great before and after photo of attractive land with a creek running through it. Fantastic. Oh uh, yes. Well, it's good to have some some positive uh, stories to be able to keep uh, keep everybody's hearts and and minds uh, focused on the the joy of building a uh, a sustainable civilization. Yay. So thank you, Naomi Shine, for all that you do in the uh, in the Lismore Environment Centre and here for Environmental as Anything. You too. <laughs> that was uh, Naomi Shine, uh, the uh, chair of the Lismore Environment Centre, shining a little light on the local news and uh, events. This has been Environmental as Anything. I'm Sean O'Shaughnessy. Thank you for joining me and us today in uh, in our adventures through the uh, news and current affairs of the for the environment of the week 
We will go out with uh, Paul Kelly as usual. But before we do, I'll say, as always, uh, be gentle with yourself, be kind to each other, and remember we are all in this together. We'll see you again next week uh, between 2 and 5 on a Saturday. And in the meantime, tune into our Facebook page and podcast at Environmental as Anything. Now to take us out with his new track called Sleep Australia Sleep. He's an Aussie icon joined by Alice Keith and Simon Nugent. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr Paul Kelly. Sleep, the night is on the creek. Shut out the noise all around. Sleep as straight as sleep and dream of counting sheep. Jumping in fields colored brown. Who rock the cradle and cry? Who rock the cradle? As off the cliff the kingdoms leap Count them as they say goodbye Are you looking for the courage to face the hard facts about our environmental crises? Do you want honest reporting on the global solutions that are at our fingertips? Would you like to know what simple, effective local actions you can take to make a positive difference to the state of the world today? Tune in to Environmental as Anything on 92.9 River FM every Saturday from 2 to 5 for all the news, interviews and analysis you need to make the future you want. For the future, we're hand in hand.